And so what we've been doing, take a look at a few Bible passages throughout this series where, where the biblical language on this is you reap what you sow. In other words, you pick what you had planted. And we talked about this series in terms of like, what are we planting? Because, um, uh, you know, if you, if you plant from Galatians 5, remember, if you plant love and, and humility, if you plant patience and goodness, you're going to pick, you're going to eat, you're going you're gonna to reap love and joy and patience, kindness, goodness, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And that cuts both ways, remember, because if you, if you plant uh, envy, if you plant animosity or, or greed, uh, these things you're going to bite into, and it's going to be bitter later on tomorrow when it comes harvest time. Uh, we talked about this in terms of uh, workload, kind of going into work tomorrow, when we said um, whether inside the home, outside the home, is sloppy work. Uh, sloppy work dishonors God. And this good work with a good attitude brings honor to God and honors the time of worship that we spent yesterday, which is this morning, worshiping God. Okay, um, today we, we want to make sure to hit this huge aspect of this like decision-making time. And to do that, just imagine you're cruising down the highway at 70 miles an hour or maybe 80 miles an hour if you <laughs> drive like I do or something. It just, you know, got places to go. No, um, and, and you're cruising down the highway and it's time to like, oh man, there goes my exit. And so you like yank it over and you just, as you're, as you're trying to make it to the exit, you hear that very distinct crunching sound and maybe some screeching brakes and the flapping tires now in the wind. Um, you, you did like a quick check, but, but you realize upon impact that there was a blind spot like next to your vehicle. You looked and you didn't immediately see anything. So then the accidents, sirens, you know, life comes to a screeching halt. There was a blind spot along the way that you didn't see. Okay, applying that to life now, and especially this series, what we're going to do in this last installment of the Tomorrow Today series is to say we are drive, we're careening down the highway of life. And, and unbeknownst to us, in many ways, there are these blind spots on the sides of our vehicle that is so easy to like make lane changes or find an exit, and we don't know that there's a blind spot until... Like we hit something until there's a sound of, of crunching metal, screeching tires, and like wheels flopping in the wind. That's when we realized there was a blind spot. And so today, today is about saying, yeah, is there an easier way? Like, like is there a way to avoid this entire mess completely? Uh, yes except it's not as easy as you might think because it's not so much about what you, the decisions that you make. Today is all about the decisions that you don't make, that are, that are in your blind spot. You would make them if you knew that you needed to make them, but we, but we just don't. I get it. I, there are decisions, you know, I just kind of like put on the back burner and put on the back burner until eventually like it catches up with me and I'm that guy careening down the highway with screeching you know, tires and flapping steel and tires and flying every which way. And I realized there was a blind spot. I really should have done something about that. So today is about how some of the most um, formative yeah, we'll, we'll use that word. Formative decisions in life are actually the decisions that you don't make. And that can be a scary thing because, because decisions that you don't make rarely tend to work out well. I'll give you an example. Earlier this week was Valentine's Day. You remembered, right? It's a couple of people. It's just too soon. Like, oh, next year we're going to hit it hard. But like maybe, maybe you, uh, you maybe went out to dinner, right? And you you look down like three tables over and you see another couple kind of sitting down at the same time. Don't tell me I'm the only people watcher 
You do it too. You're just not going to admit it in church. That, that's all right. Sinners around here. It's good. But like you watch people as they sit down and they get to the menu and they do that kind of awkward thing where they're like talking, they're not talking to each other. They're reading the menu and that's okay. Um, and then you happen to look over later and they're like still not talking to each other. And you kind of wonder, you start making up like these scenarios. You do it too. You, I know uh, about you know, what that, what's going on over there and why they're not talking to each other and things. Like, and the whole meal goes by. The entire meal goes by. And you look up and the check comes and they pay it. They get up to leave. And, and they never said a word to each other the entire time. And I just, I find that, maybe it's because I talk a lot, but I find that so hard to believe. But it's like, it's happening right before me. And so something happens for me where I go, what did they plant so that they're like picking this lack of conversation or maybe it's just, you know, there's a lack of community in the relationship. And I want to break in. Maybe it isn't so much what they planted. Maybe it's what they didn't plant. You know, some of you might have bumped into your old college roommate, right? This is the guy that would get up before dawn so that he could get out there and run five miles and then swim for 20 minutes and then go for what he calls a short bike ride. And then you, you bump into him years later and you're like, how's it going? And you start to get to talking and then he jokes like, I can't even, I can't even run to the car without stopping for a breather when it's raining outside anymore. That's where I'm at. By the way, the car's just at the end of the driveway. Like that's how bad things are. And you wonder like, what did he plant to just come so you know, far down from the pinnacle of the fitness specimen he was? Maybe it wasn't so much what he planted. Maybe it's what he didn't plant. And I'll tell you where it gets really, really raw and really real. Is that the, the, the girl in high school youth group that you used to know, right? She was the one who would, she was engaged. She showed up for everything with body and mind, right? She was just focused. She, she would show up for everything and bring a ton of friends along. It's like, this is the type of person, right? People would seek her out for advice on boys and dating and relationships and God and faith. Like she was the one giving advice to everybody. And then it isn't until you catch up with her on social uh, like 10 years later and you're like flipping through her feed and it's just, it's, it's anger and it's hatred and it's just like this giving up and you're like looking at it saying, what happened? And it's very clear from, from her feed that, that the faith she had is like gone. At some point she determined it's no longer a faith worth keeping. And you want to say, what did she plant? And today is about saying, maybe it's, Maybe it isn't so much what she planted. Maybe it's what she didn't plant. Not what she did, but what she and, and we didn't do. Okay, there's a passage in the Bible that addresses this just perfectly. It's in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. There are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. The words are also going to be on the screen behind me, and we have open Wi-Fi without a password if you're the phone kind of person. But like, check out the passage somehow. It's Proverbs 24. Before we read the passage, though, I want to highlight uh, a couple things about Proverbs. It's, it's kind of a weird passage because Proverbs is a weird book to begin with. It's like this, this wisdom kind of gleanings, these little nuggets of truth that are like just spewed out. It's gathered by what's referred to as the teacher. But you get the sense it's Solomon and he's sharing this almost like with his, with his kids. You just imagine kind of around a, a table and his, 
And he kind of leans in. He's going to say something like really important, some, some wisdom that he's learned along the way, maybe from personal experience. And the kids are like, whatever he's about to say, like, this is going to be really important. And I hope it doesn't involve dessert, right? And the kids are like leaning in. He's like, you have to know something about life. Now, another thing about Proverbs I want to say is what I just think is so cool is a lot of these sayings, you get the impression that the, uh, Solomon had, had learned them from personal experience or maybe watching somebody else's personal experience, which is awesome, like a wonderful way to learn something. Um, some things is his personal, other times it just comes from someone else entirely. So like there's this whole section in the book of Proverbs that looks like it was taken from these Egyptian sayings, like way outside of the people of God, nation of Israel, all this stuff. And I just think that's so cool that right here in the Bible, we have this affirmation of truth and wisdom wherever it's dispensed and whatever mouth it comes out of is God's truth and wisdom. And that doesn't have anything to do with today. I just think it was worth passing along. So there it is. Proverbs 24 breaks into this narrative. So usually it's like, walk with the wise, become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Like these are the kind of things mom or dad would say to the kids around the table. Well, this time, this time was different because this time after dinner, he, he tells a story about how earlier that day he was walking by a field and he, he figured a couple things out that he wanted to tell his kids and eventually he wanted to share with us as well. And I think it's gonna be worth our time to check it out to avoid some of those blind spots. Okay, um, this is what he says. And I'm just going to read it right through. Proverbs 24, it says this. He goes, I went past the field of a sluggard, <laughs> past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. It's a little harsh, but like, hear him out. Uh, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a valuable, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. And this is his lesson. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Uh, in the words of the immortal anchorman, that escalated quickly. Like a little sleep, and it just all of a sudden it gets really intense really quickly. What's up with that? Uh, I just want to share a couple uh, pictures with you. He's walking along the field. He sees a vineyard. This is what he's expecting to see. It's just beautiful, serene. It's just lines of grapes, green growing. If it's the arid desert background, I mean, it's impressive. You can imagine why the king would take some time off and intentionally walk through a field like this. Like that makes sense to me. Uh, he's kind of going through. This is what he expects to see. But he goes, the problem with this particular field, what made him stop and, and stare at it for a little while and think about what was going on is that the field didn't look like this. It had thorns, it had weeds, it had a stone wall. This kind of like field stone wall that broke down. And he goes, it, it kind of looked more like this. By the way, this picture is taking about a half an hour west of here. Not by me, but it's just a cool picture I found. Um, this is vineyard. It looks like it hasn't been active in a while. Somebody has not lived there in a very long time. But it used to be a really nice, well-maintained place, presumably at some point. He goes, like, this is what I saw. And it's just like, and I stopped, and I just, I stared at it for a little while. And he draws a couple conclusions about like what happened with that field. Because I'll tell you, you know, three things mark this field. He goes, there's thorns, there's weeds, and the, the stone fence is in disrepair. But neither of those three are really the problem. I mean, they're the problem, but they're like the symptoms of the problem. They're not the problem itself. That's, that's something deeper. 
I, I just, I want us to know, obviously thorns are bad, obviously weeds are bad. Stone, uh, kind of field stone hedge around the property, not real big, not just, but uh, it, it was not a decorative thing so much it was a practical functional thing. Uh, you'd have livestock in the field that you didn't want to get out. And so you'd put this little hedge around it. It would keep some animals, some predators out. It would keep your livestock in. It would also be a deterrent to some thieves that would come over. Obviously it's just a small little thing that you just jump right over it and but they would have a harder time walking away with your like 800 pound cow on their back. Like that's the point of this little, little field stone uh, fence that he's talking about. And, and now he looks at it, he goes, thorns, weeds, this, this hedge is in disrepair. I mean, we've, we've got a seriously neglected piece of property here. And he that all of those things aren't the problem. They're symptoms of a problem. The core of the, the issue here, and he goes like, somebody just hasn't been taking care of this thing. I mean, he calls the owner, he's a sluggard, he's somebody without any sense. But, but he goes, like, I just, you know, that, ha it's not that it did happen, it's kind of like it does happen. You know, and that's why he wants to, like, bring around his kids and share. It's not like, you know, it might happen, it's just that it tends to kind of happen again and again and again. And so he gets the kids around and he explains, just, I want you to know a few things about how a field, go field goes from the first picture, you kind of know, lush lines, to the second picture, picture is decay and, like, death all around. He goes, the first thing is that escalation factor that I mentioned earlier. You know, it's almost like the passage itself is very clever writing. It's almost like the passage itself has a certain tempo about it, right? Where, where it's kind of, it's moving and then it slows way down, almost to a crawl. And then all of a sudden it like speeds up really quickly. So just listen to it again. And he goes, here's how it happens. This is the lesson. He goes, a little sleep a little slumber, which is like napping, a little snooze, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty comes on you like a thief, scarcity like an armed man. And so there's like a principle here that says, um, you know, how a field how a field or a field of life kind of runs into disarray and then decay. I mean, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. You realize it all of a sudden. But the decline is gradual and the realization of loss is sudden. And I'll tell you, I'll make it even more intense because it, it's, called, it's a reverse intensification where he goes, you know, you got a little sleep going down to bed at night. You have a little snooze, a nap. He goes, no, no, it, all it takes, all it takes actually is just a little folding of the hands to rest. And then poverty comes, and then the, the field goes down. I mean, as the caution in the text, he goes, if you take your foot off the pedal just for an instant, decay, ruin starts to set in. That's how, that's how quickly this happens. He goes, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, but the realization is overnight. We're not talking about vineyards and fields. I know nothing about that, but, but I think what the, what the author here of Proverbs, Solomon, through the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us is that our lives are fields. Get the, get the metaphor here. And again, he's talking to his sons and he goes, I want you to know that the, that the uh, decline is gradual, but the realization of loss, that's all of a sudden, that happens just that quickly. In 12-step language, 
Uh, people, people talk about a moment of clarity that they had. You know, you know because like the decline into it's a substance abuse, alcoholism, drugs, whatever, uh, drug of choice is, the, the decline is not just all of a sudden over a hill. It just seems like a little decay over a long period of time. But, but then at the bottom, the rock bottom, whatever that definition is for you, like there's a moment of clarity there when you look up and realize just how far you've fallen. I mean, that's what, they, that's what they talk about. The equation tends to look a little different because people get around the circle and they'll say, you know, I, I didn't realize what was happening because that decline, the decay was so gradual, was so slow. It looked like fun party plus fun party plus fun party equals ruined life. The weeds, thorns, the hedge kind of broken down, doing nothing. That's what that process looked like. And at the bottom, I had this moment of clarity and I'll tell you what happens next. What happens next sometimes is this lashing out saying, why didn't anybody warn me? As I was careening down the highway and there was a semi-truck in my blind spot right behind me, like why didn't anybody tell me ju just how dangerous the, the path that I was on actually was? Why didn't anybody tell me? And Solomon, or the, the teacher in Proverbs, calls around and he goes, listen, I did. I think this is interesting. He, he, he writes, he just listen to the, the pronouns in the passage when he goes, hey, I went past the field of a slugger, somebody who had no sense. And he goes, I saw these things. I applied to my heart what I observed. And he drew a lesson from what I saw. He goes, I did all this. I was out for a walk that day. I saw the field. And so let me tell you what it means. Poverty will come on you like a thief. And you're like, wait, wait a second here. Uh, you're talking about personal story about you. I, 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 I. And we're talking about this field guy. And somehow this has to do with me. That's where that image comes from of Solomon and his kids gathered around like a kitchen table after the meal. And he, said, he goes, I have to tell you something really important. You know what he's going to say? He's going to gather all the kids around. He goes, forget about, forget about neglected field guy. Forget about vineyard guy. Like his business is his business and I'm not gonna tell him how to run his life, but I am gonna warn you. He looks at his kids and he's also looking at us and he's going, you don't want to be that guy, is what he's saying. This is what I, what I observed, he don't wanna be that guy. You don't wanna be that guy that goes through life using people Using friends as a, as a commodity to be mined. You know, as long as they can do something for me, as long as they can provide me with some entertainment or, or some relief from my loneliness, like I will gather them around. But the minute things get tough, the minute things get awkward, the minute things get a little bit too real, I am pushing the unfriend button on social and in real life. Like, like, I am not interested in investing in this relationship at all. I am not interested in pouring into somebody else. I'm not interested in having a difficult conversation about some of the blind spots in my life. I will just disengage. If church and if my small group starts to get a little bit too real and starts to get a little bit too close to home, I'm just going to like back off and say, that's a great idea for someone else. And Solomon goes, you don't want to be that guy. 
You don't want to be that person that goes through life just pitching people as it gets inconvenient because at some point you're going to wake up and there's going to be a, a wake of, of like broken relationships and severed friendships behind you. And you're going to wake up and it's going to be a dramatically lonely place to be. And so Solomon says, make a decision, make a commitment, make a promise today so that tomorrow you're not going to wake up and be that guy because you don't want to be that guy. I'm warning you right now, you don't want to be that guy. You don't, want to, you don't want to be that guy that shows up on graduation day. And as his kid walks across the stage, you know, it isn't his own life that flashes before his eyes. It's his kid's life that flashes before his eyes and the 18 years that he had with them. And he goes, I was there for, for all of preschool and most of elementary school. I started checking out in junior high. By high school, like, I'm done. I'm, I don't need to do this anymore. He's fine. And now he's walking across the stage, and I realize I, I don't even know that kid anymore. And Solomon is saying to his kids, you don't want to be that guy. That girl I mentioned earlier with, the, with waking up one morning and and realizing the faith she had wasn't a faith worth keeping. And Solomon says, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that girl. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be them. And maybe it isn't so much about what you're planting. Maybe, maybe unfortunately, the decisions that you're making, it's all about what you're, what you're not planting, what you're overlooking in the blind spots. And at this guy, at this time, a vineyard guy breaks in, right? A vineyard guy is like, hey, hey well, come on now. I think you're being a little harsh. I mean, it's a little broken down and things aren't like they used to be. But, but hey, I didn't do anything. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't do anything. And that's all it takes. Uh, this is the second principle of thermodynamics, which says that when it relates to energy, it's everything in the universe tends to move from order to disorder unless acted upon by an outside force. And the difference is the study of entropy. If you did not enjoy high school physics, you can just kind of write down in the margin, weeds happen. <laughs> What does it take to grow a garden of thorns, thistles, weed bushes? Nothing at all. They just kind of happen all on their own. It's very, very easy. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> Weeds happen. Everything kind of moves from order to, to disorder. That's, that's, that's what vineyard guy is experiencing right now, entropy. He's experiencing, I didn't plant weeds. I didn't plant thorn bushes. You know what? I didn't go ahead and, and knock my little hedge over on the outside of my property. I didn't, I didn't do anything. Exactly. He just fold your hands for a little while. And as soon, not even as soon as you sleep, not even as soon as you take a nap, as soon as you fold your hands, as soon as your foot comes off the gas pedal, just that quickly, the decline begins a little at a time, slowly, gradually, I will warn you, but it happens. That's how it starts. You don't have to do anything. One of the great joys that I have 
I've mentioned this before about, about officiating somebody's wedding is, uh, is like getting together and like celebrating the love that God gave them. And so I love officiating. Some of you right now are like rethinking that ask for later this summer. And I, I get that. I appreciate that. But hang with me here. Um, you, can just, you can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their faces. They are so incredibly in love. And they like each other, which is really important as well, especially starting off. <laughs> they, they, they want to spend time with each other. They'll rearrange schedules so, so that she can spend an extra hour with him before they go to sleep at night. Right? They, they just coordinate everything so that they can be in the same room as much as humanly possible. And it's, it's awesome. It be, and they, they'll tell you, maybe, buying into what I think is the greatest lie that culture has told us is that they have fallen in love. And I just want to say, this is like entropy 101, right? Weeds happen, one, like just, just as quickly as that. You say, wait, I, I don't think that you necessarily fell into love because that sets us up for a place later on. And I don't think that I'm unromantic by saying, by saying that love isn't a falling in. That's lust, that's infatuation, that's a number of other unhealthy weeds and thorns and broken, uh, broken hedges in your life. No, no, you don't fall into anything, you choose it. Right? You get up every morning and you talk to people who've been married for maybe 30 or 40 years and you say, how is it that you worked? And they'll look back and they'll probably say something to the effect like, you know, there were some remarkably difficult seasons of life, maybe years seven, maybe 12 and 20. And they'll look at it and go, at those seasons, I had to choose and make a conscious decision to wake up that morning and every morning after that and choose to love and choose to remain, and to choose to stay engaged. Because what they know, and I heard it again this morning, what they know is this doesn't just automatically happen. Is that it takes effort, it takes work. Automatically happens is what people drift apart. And they say, looking back, I'm so surprised. We drifted apart. I never thought this would happen. I thought that we would have stayed, fallen in love our whole life. Choose. They say every morning I had to come back and make a decision. And this happens with every area of life. It's finances and parenting. And it's just an incredible, incredible amount of work. But friends, you know all of this. I think you get it already. <laughs> Many of you, you've lived it. And for the rest of you, you've watched the other people live it. And you're like, this is, I get it. I don't want to end up like that. Or maybe I do want to end up like that. And so you ask probing questions. And this is not rocket science that decline is gradual and realization of loss is, is sudden. And there's a, like a warning around here to like just make different choices, make different decisions so that tomorrow, today so that tomorrow is different. Like entropy, weeds happen. Like all, many of you, you get this already. And, and Solomon, to his credit, you know, he points that out and he goes, I know that, you know, this is not rocket science. I know that this is, this is not going to be earth shattering for you. So what, what's interesting about this passage, again, is, he, you know, he's making a few observations and he goes, uh, you know, walking by this, he said he made an observation. He learned a lesson about, you know, he, this guy has no sense. He's just like all of these things. It's like, I saw it. I observed it. But when it came time to put this in emotion, he goes, I did not apply this to my head. He said that I applied it to my heart. 
Uh, one uh, commentator writing about this passage said that this is a Hebrew, is a language that it was written, a Hebrew idiom. This is not deriving a logical conclusion about the data set. Thank you, Anchor Bible Dictionary. <laughs> um, but this is an application to life. This is an application to heart. In other words, this is less to do with like knowing these things and everything to do with executing them, everything to do with living it out, with making that call, with making that decision. See, that's the hard part. You see, uh, Dave Ramsey, like him or hate him, I know, polarizing. Dave Ramsey's a financial, and I hesitate to call him a guru because he's like, it's not that insightful stuff. And he just, you listen to, sorry, everybody. But like, he will, he will, in my defense, he will say, and he does all the time, I give you the same financial advice your grandma does, only I leave my teeth in, right? Like, that's what he says. So, and he's often says, you can, you can listen to him on the radio. And by the way, those are things in your parents' cars that lose signal after you drive aways. But you tune in, right? You can listen to podcasts, maybe, um, to his stuff. And, uh, and he says, like, this is financial advice about spending less than you make. Like, earth-shattering, I know. Because this is, where we go wrong, it's 95% behavioral and, like, 5% intellectual. You know, the problem is when we start to outthink, outsmart ourselves, like that's when things go wrong. But you go, it's just kind of making this simple application that comes, when it comes to so many areas of life, and yes, finance, finances are included, marriage is a love, friendship, being a decent human, being a decent friend to the people around you, like it's 95% behavioral and about 5% intellectual. You just, the, the gap is following through. The gap is doing something. That's what Solomon gets in Proverbs as he's telling his kids. You can know something, but it's not worth anything until you do something with that information. So this morning, I want to do something about it. I mean, I want to apply something. I want to make a decision, commitment, or promise today that's going to shape and form the person that I become tomorrow. Because it's, it's going to make a difference. You get out there and walk the fields of your life, the field of your heart together, and you're going to see weeds. You're going to see thorns. You're going to see a, a stone hedge thing that's just a pile of rubble. And you, what you're going to want to do, you're going to want to roll up your shirt sleeves like I do, all right? And you're, you're going to plan an entire Saturday to like rooting out the weeds, thorns, and hedge of your, of your life. And on a weekend, you're going to get out there and say, I'm going to take this whole thing on and stack up all these stones, right? And I'm going to build my, and then I'm going to get to the weeds, and I'm going to get to the thorns, and I'm going to do this thing. And then you will be dramatically underwhelmed with the amount of progress you made on a Saturday with your life. And then when next weekend comes around, your motivation is going to be a little less and a little less. Maybe I'm just thinking about myself here, but... I want to share something with you. It's a quote by uh, it's a pastor, it's an author. It's Craig Groeschel who said, here's, like, here's the thing that we miss. You know, when it comes out to like the weeding of, the, uh, weeding of our hearts, the weeding of our lives, is pulling up stuff that doesn't belong. Like, like this is the part that we don't get. So we roll up our shirt sleeves, we dig into this, you know, and we dramatically, we dramatically overestimate how much we're going to get done in the short run, it, right here, right now. And then we give up. But if we wouldn't give up, if we would stick with it, 
If the next weekend we would continue to roll up our shirt sleeves and get to work, if we stayed engaged, not just weekend to weekend, but maybe even over the course of a lifetime, he finishes that up and he says, we, if we stayed engaged, we, however big we imagine God's vision for our lives becoming, I guarantee you we are dramatically underestimating what God is going to accomplish in our lives with a lifetime of faithfulness. Please, somebody say amen. Like, right We roll up our sleeves to get to work this weekend, and I promise you you're going to overestimate what you think you're going to get done that weekend. But in the long run of life, getting out there a weekend at a time, pulling weeds that don't belong in your friendships, in your marriage, in your work life, I promise you that you are underestimating, no matter how high the bar is set, you're underestimating what God is going to do in your life over a lifetime of faithfulness. Here's the thing, though. You get out there, and you're fired up, and you want to get to work like I do. You fix your life. Not this weekend. I, go, I get that. I'm going to fix my life over a lifetime. At some point, it's going to hit you that you can't do it. And maybe that moment is like right now in an act of skepticism. It's like, I think I've tried this before. Um, I've tried it over a course of a while before. It doesn't work. And you're right. It doesn't work. Um, there's, a, there's a poem by Robert Frost called Mending Wall. And it's an interesting poem because it's got a number of, of uh, ironic layers to it, which I think is fun. So I'm going to share one of them that was sp- speaking to me this week. And, uh, you know, if you don't like that, it's poetry. So, like, you can't really disagree with it. Uh, <laughs> In the poem, I'm not going to read it for you because you've got to read it a hundred times to understand what it's talking about, but in the, in the poem, the narrator is all first person, right? And he's, he's frustrated with, uh, with his neighbor because uh, every year they get out there and they, it's called, they, they walk the fence together, this little hedge, uh, not unlike the passage that's talking about here. They get out there and they walk the, the hedge together. And, and the, the narrator is just complaining and complaining. He's like, you know why? This is pointless. We don't even have livestock anymore. We don't have fields that produce anything, which is another problem in Proverbs. But he goes, at one point, what is the issue here? Are my apples going to like mix with your pine cones? Like, I don't understand why we need to maintain this thing. But the neighbor, the whole time, doesn't say anything except for twice in the poem. He says, yeah, but good fences make good neighbors. He goes, good fences make good neighbors. And the two of them walk the line together. Now, the initial irony in the poem is like, good fences don't make good neighbors. Like relationships and communication. You should come to my premarital enrichment thing. Um, communication makes good relationships, good, makes good neighbors. And you know, talking to each other and, and being vulnerable and real with each other. Like, that's what makes good neighbors and good relationships. And then you, you read the poem enough times and you start to realize Like, the neighbor isn't concerned at all. Like, he's content to just get out there once a year, as this guy says. This guy is the one who's preoccupied with it the whole time. He wants his neighbor. He's calling him. He's the one scheduling. He's the one asking, when are we going to get out there? When are we going to build the fence? When are we going to fix it together? He's the one after it. And in fact, you realize by the end of the poem... (laughs) That the only sense of a relationship they have is when the two of them get out there together and they walk down the line together and they see a stone, they stack a stone. And they do it again and again and again. And in that sense, the deeper irony of the poem is like good fences in that case actually start because it's like the only sense of companionship 
that the two of them have with their fields adjacent to each other. Now imagine these aren't just fields not producing, but they're actually grapes and vineyards like we saw. And imagine this story is taking place a couple thousand years ago, and it's after the night that Jesus had his his meal, his last meal with the disciples in the upper room. And he heads out into a garden called Gethsemane with his disciples, which which is probably actually a vineyard, and they're walking among lines of grapes in neat little rows. And you get the sense that it's, it's Jesus' favorite place to be in the world. And he knows he's just about to be arrested. He knows his death comes tomorrow. And so he gathers his disciples around him. And he says a couple things. Looking at the grapes around him, he goes, you know, it's like I am the vine and you're the branches. And in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And then he blows their minds. When he turns to them again, he goes, again, on the night just before he's arrested, he says, you know, I, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. He looks at these guys in the eyes. And he says, I call you friends. Now imagine that. Imagine the creator of the universe leaning over to you and saying, you know what, I'm not only your Lord, I am also your friend. You know, so when we think about the role that Jesus plays in our lives, we go to the cross, we go to his death, we go to resurrection, and for good reason, don't get me wrong, But all throughout that process, we forget his very last teaching to his very first followers was that he isn't simply their Lord, he is also their friend. And in a way, it's like Jesus calls us out and he goes, I want to walk the the line, I want to walk the field together with you. Like, like we're companions on this journey. It's not like a one and done thing. I want to get out there. And I want to start stacking some stones on top of each other. I want to see a weed, pull a weed, see a thorn, pull a thorn. Like we're going to, and I don't want to do this once a year, probably around Easter or Christmas or when things go really south. I don't just want to do, I want to get out there and every day we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to pull a weed, pull a thorn, stack a stone. We're going to do this together. So let's do this together. Let's do it. In front of you, there's a, there's a green connection card in the chair. Uh, pull it out. Even if you're not planning on doing anything with it, just pull it out uh, so that other people see you pulling it out. At least if you're in the front, it's underneath the seat. Uh, on the top, there's a lines there for some comments. This whole series, we've been talking about how God uses the decisions, the commitments, the promises you make today to shape and form the person you become tomorrow. So go ahead, write something down on there. And we'll have a minute as the team comes forward and sings the song uh, all together. Write something down about the promise, the decision, the commitment that you're making today. Because you know what, you're gonna get out there and you're gonna see a field that's a wreck with weeds, thorns, and stone mess. And this isn't about fixing everything all at once because you're overestimating what's going to happen. Find one stone. Maybe it's a marriage thing. Maybe it's a decision about a friendship or a commitment about your financial outlook. A decision, commitment, or promise. One stone. Write it down and stack one stone. And put it in the bucket on your way out, in the box if if that fills up. And in 52 weeks, in one year, we're going to email it back to you. If you want to, print clearly your email address at the top. And we'll wait a year. 
Because sometimes you get distracted and you get lost in the shuffle, or sometimes you just don't see how God has been moving this whole time, weeding and watering and stacking. And in one year, let's check in. And not in kind of a creepy watching you kind of way, but just as a check in of saying, where, where have you seen God move? Because you know, his promise in Philippians, chapter one, verse six, he says, that stirring inside of you that says, I think this is a marriage thing, or I think it's a finance thing, or I think it's a phone call to make or an email to send, that that, that stirring inside of you, Philippians says, he who began a good work, I think that might be God. I think it might be his Holy Spirit stirring something inside of you to write one thing down, to stack one stone up. He says, he who began a good work in you, he will see it on, he will keep it on. He will move, build on that until, he, until you see Jesus Christ again. Like this is the thing, Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God's work who starts it in your heart. It's God's work who stacks the stone. It's God's work who continues building day after day, weekend after weekend. And God also says, you're not done. I'm not done with you when you think you're done. You made that call. You sent that email. You think you're good. You're not done until I say you're done. God says he will see it out until completion. Because you know when completion is? Completion is when the two of us are standing face to face with each other in eternity. That's when you're done. And I will carry you there every step of the way. See a stone, stack a stone. You can stay seated as the team comes forward. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we have in such a way overestimated the short term. And we've made it all about the here and all about the now. And God, we, we start stacking and pulling weeds and we get discouraged and we give up far too quickly. God, we see that your grace is often a slow one of what you can do, not just with a day or a moment, but what you can do over a lifetime. God, I ask for courage for everybody right now who's who's on the fence, wondering whether to write something down or just to, to keep it in their heart. And God, I ask that, that you give them the courage to reach out and to ask for accountability. And so that, Lord, together we can spot each other's blind spots in, in humility and in grace so that we continue growing up and, and living and loving more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. You're the one who starts this. You're the one who carries it on. And you're the one who completes it. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen.